Welcome to the podcast of Central Church. This is our latest weekly message. I want to um, look at this passage of scripture through the lens of the lectionary. So put your hand up if you're familiar with what the lectionary is. Wow. Okay, put your hand up if you grew up in a church where every week there were several Bible readings. Yeah, you know what the lectionary is then. That's the, lect- that's the lectionary. So... <laughs> Um, no, let me. <laughs> no, very loose. So the lectionary is a um, a three-year cycle of scripture, whereby churches who who are usually more liturgical or more traditional would have Bible readings every week, and the the message. Uh, is the culmination of those Bible readings. Now, the lectionary has been around for an extremely long period of time in its essence. And so really what it is, um, is this idea, it's a practice like, it's a practice that even the Jewish people had. Like that there were certain passages of scripture they read at certain times of the year that connected with certain times and seasons. And so the idea of reading particular passages of scripture um, together and at particular times of year is, is very ancient. And even as, um, as the early church was forming in the first sort of 200 years of the early church, there's evidence that they continued with the Jewish readings of scripture for their weekly synagogue gatherings. And so they would read the passages assigned to those particular weeks in their gatherings, and that would be the way that they held scripture. And then once, of course, that, that's still the sort of same period of time the New Testament was actually being written So by the time we get to about 500 AD, and we've seen Constantine make Christianity the national or the the religion of empire, the lectionary becomes to form a little bit more cohesively with Old Testament readings and New Testament readings, and they were each assigned, you know, to different weeks of the year with the aim that as a community of faith follows this pattern of Bible readings. Every three years, they would have read the entire Bible. So many churches still do that now, 2,000 years later. And so traditionally, there would be an Old Testament reading, maybe two, a psalm, a New Testament reading, and then the gospel. And they have been, it's not just like, the creators of this or the the formers of this over time just kind of like threw scripture up in the air and just randomly selected random bits and pieces. It's actually being crafted in such a way that grand themes of scripture are pulled together to highlight and reference God as revealed in Christ. And it's a way, I guess, of being able to read scripture in such a way that scripture talks to itself. So obviously we have the Bible, 
written by many people, many voices over many years. And the lectionary is a way that each of those voices come in conversation with one another to lift up Jesus. And so it's, it's, a, very, um, it's, it's, it's a very good thing, I think. Using, like church, churches, I don't know how those of you who grew up with the weekly Bible readings, and I think maybe you'd kind of hit maybe pinnacle awesomeness if you were allowed to give a Bible reading. Is that right, Sarah? Did you have to do, like, and often there's like rules. Maybe you had to do a class. <laughs> there is, yeah. And so it's, it's, still, it's still being done. Now look, it can be as dry as biscuits, right? It can be, let's be honest. Some of these things are traditional and we can find them difficult and wonder why we do them. Or it actually can be an expression of corporate spiritual practice. That together a community of faith listens and hears and wrestles with scripture every three years. Um, I think it can be a beautiful thing. Um, and so, that, so anyway, that's what it is. Um, and I thought, um, why not have a look at this particular passage with its groupings of other passages of Scripture that have been passed on and held together for, for hundreds of years and see if we can hear Scripture having a conversation with Scripture. Let's see if we can hear what the Bible would say to the Bible as, it, as, as we open this passage of Scripture. So if you're really interested, the parable of the persistent widow is found in year C. because So the three years are divided into A, B and C. They tend to, the gospel readings tend to follow a structure so that Matthew is read one year, Mark is read one year, Luke is read one year and John is kind of divided up between the three of them because he's the odd one out. Like is the, it's the different gospel. So um, year C is, is, the, is Luke. And actually, if we were a church that followed the lectionary on October the 16th, the parable of the persistent widow would have been our gospel reading of the day. Um, but we didn't. So it's actually year C, the 19th Sunday after Pentecost in ordinary time. Um, we would have had this reading. So this reading, uh, the gospel reading always comes last because we're always moving towards seeing Jesus lifted high and hearing how scripture uh, elevates Christ. And the other readings that are, um, sit alongside this passage are Genesis 32, 22 to 31, Psalm 121. The second Old Testament reading is Jeremiah 31, verses 27 to 34. The New Testament reading is 2 Timothy 4, 1 to 5, and then the gospel reading. So we're going to actually read them, um, and then I'm just going to pull a few threads together and just share some things that I have grasped in the conversation of all these passages as I've sat with them for a little while. So I'm not going to read it all. I'm going to see if, well, you're close. You can read, um, because, I mean, we're on this one. So sorry, front row people. And what, are we supposed to say something, Sarah? Brian? (laughs) yeah do you say that after everyone oh okay (laughs) cool you guys can do that great genesis 32 verses 22 to 31 (laughs) 
That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven sons, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He, after he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, Let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, What is your name? Jacob, he answered. Oh, it keeps on going. All right. Then the man said, Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, Please tell me your name. But he replied, Why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. This is the word of the Lord. All right. (laughs) Okay. Oh, am I going to get there? Oh, no. I'll do the next one. (laughs) Um. Oh, they could. If anyone really wants to read the word of the Lord, here's a seat. Um, Jeremiah 31, 27 to 34. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will plant the kingdoms of Israel and Judah with the offspring of people and of animals. Just as I watched over them to uproot and tear down and to overthrow, destroy and bring disaster, so I will watch over them to build and to plant declares the Lord. In those days, people will no longer say, the parents have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. Instead, everyone will die for their own sin. Whoever eats sour grapes, their own teeth will be set on edge. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbour Or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. You have to do that. I can't can't reach it anywhere. Sophie, can I reach to you? Oh, did we have the psalm? Was the psalm in there? Oh, Jill. <laughs> In the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct 
rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather round them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. And I'll read, I actually forgot to put the psalm in there. Tragic. Um, It's Psalm 121. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. And Jessamy, you're close enough to read our New Testament, our gospel reading of the day. And you're, 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 have you done the lesson? Have you, have you learned how to do these properly? Um, you should be holding the Bible in the middle and we should all be standing up, actually. The cross should go ahead. All right, I'll just do it the boring way. Luke 18, 1 to 8. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with a plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused. But finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) So, So there are a group of readings that would have all sat together and... These are the passages of Scripture designed to be in conversation with one another. That as we read this gospel passage, it will somehow be informed by these other passages of Scripture, by Jacob wrestling with the unknown man, by Psalm 121, I look to the mountains, where does my help come from? By Jeremiah's declaration of a new covenant that he will write, his ways and his laws on our mind and our heart and by Paul's charge to Timothy to stand firm to to you know preach the word in season and out of season and be ready for whatever comes and of course in our readings the very last line that we would have heard in the gospel reading is that very haunting line of Jesus 
saying, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? It is quite a haunting end to this, these um, groupings of scripture. So here are just some of the threads. I've sat with these passages and just kind of soaked in them a little bit and tried to overhear, I guess, the conversation they might be having with one another and to see what are the commonalities that I can hear as, as we read these passages of scripture together. So the first thing I think I've noticed about all of these passages is that there's almost a kind of strange solitude in each of them. And so we have this very strange story of Jacob who sends his wife and his children and all his possessions and presumably all the people with him across a river and he himself stays behind. And then night falls and he wrestles with a strange man all night. That's a very bizarre story, right? Towards daybreak, there's almost this sense that this strange man that Jacob is wrestling with is afraid of daybreak because he, you know, he, he gets the, you know, heads up on Jacob by dislocating his hip. And then there's this funny exchange about who are you, tell me your name, who are you, tell me your name. But there is a, a strange solitude that we see in Jacob wrestling alone through the dark of the night with a stranger. That, now, that's, a, that's a strange picture of faith. Then we have the psalmist. This, I love this psalm, Psalm 121, but there's a solitude in this psalm as well. As the psalmist is crying out, obviously there's some reason he's, he needs help. And he's crying out, where will my help come from? And he's not sort of saying, oh, my help's going to come from my mate, some I'm ringing a friend. He's looking to the mountains, to the majesty and the solitude of, 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 of high places and mountains and saying, I'm, I'm calling to the mountains. Where will my help come from? There's a solitude in that. Like, I don't know if you can hear in that passage any resonance with your own faith story where you have felt in isolated places crying out for help on mountaintops. We have Jeremiah's confronting words where there's this sense of a, of a shift in covenant where historically there's been some interconnection of, for ancestors. Like it, it says, you know, the, the, the parents ate sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. So there's this historical kind of sense that there was communal kind of like effects of things and Jeremiah is proclaiming a day when actually each one of us stands alone with God with the law of God written in our minds and on our hearts and where we ourselves will be responsible for our actions in this world where it won't be like you did a bad thing and therefore I am punished, but I am responsible for me. There is a strange solitude to the new covenant where we stand before God, each one of us. 
Then we, we hear in Timothy, Timothy being encouraged to continue in what he has learned. There's a sense in that passage that there's all kinds of people going all kinds of places and doing their own kind of thing. And Paul's calling to Timothy to say, stand firm in who God has made you. There may be all people going different directions. You live your life. You walk your path. You be faithful to the call in you. There's a strange solitude that Paul is calling Timothy to. And then we come to our widow in Luke, who is also a, a picture of solitude, where she alone is crying out for justice to this judge who doesn't seem to care for God or for people. And there is this wondering in my heart where I go, where, were, where was her family? Where were her friends? Where was the rest of the village or the city or the town that was standing with this woman? They're, they're nowhere in this passage. There's a strange kind of solitude in this woman as she cries out for justice against the one she wants justice from. And so I see in all of these passages like a thread of of solitude, a thread of, you know, when that last line, will, will God find faith on this earth? It's almost like we're invited to hear those words deep into the inner place of our own solitude, that Jesus himself might stand in front of us and say, will I find faith in you? Do I find faith in you? I think there's a, an invitation to overhear the conversation of Scripture where we see all these people in different places in their own forms of solitude, wrestling with faith, hearing the call of God to be faithful. The second thread that I see kind of weaving itself through these passages is that none of these passages are passive there is all of these passages have an active element to them active is even a kind word for these passages because parts of these passages are actually violent there is a violent language around all of these passages Jacob is wrestling all night with a, and, and it wasn't a mental wrestle, like physically rest, wrestling. And there, the only way the wrestle ends is through this stranger dislocating Jacob's hip. There's a violence to that. There is a kind of, there's, a, there's an active like violent wrestling in that passage. Psalm 121 kind of like is highlighting, it has language around slipping and falling and harm being done. And there is a sense that this psalm is written in the context of the potential for harm, for our feet to slip. When we cry out to God that we're in these places where things may go wrong. Jeremiah starts by using like language like of uprooting and tearing down and overthrowing, eating sour grapes and teeth being set on edge. Like that, that feels like you know, like it's quite a provocative and like aggressive language in this, in this passage. Timothy talks about enduring hardship, standing firm in the midst of hardship. And our passage in Luke, we have this widow who is anything but placid. 
Widows, we are, when we think of a widow, the image that conjures up is usually a nice little old lady, you know, white hair, crochet needle in a, in a bag, you know, like going up to a, you know, this is not the picture that Luke or Jesus gives us of this woman. She's tenacious, she's gritty, she's persistent, she's dogged in, 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 a, in getting justice. But the word is actually to avenge me. This little old woman is out for revenge and she's tenacious with this uncaring judge about getting it. And in the end, where it says the judge relents because he was worried that she was, you know, gonna, it's about the language, the Greek is literally, she will give me a black eye. So there's this picture of this little old lady, tenacious, seeking vengeance, who's going to belt up this judge if he doesn't do what she's asking. That's, that's not passive and it's not, um, it's not what we expect. So there's this kind of like thread of like aggression and tenacity and violence in these passages. They're definitely forceful. And as I've been thinking about each one of these, I'm thinking the word that comes to me as I consider each one of them is the idea of what spiritual resilience would look like. The spiritual resilience to wrestle in the dark with God. The spiritual resilience to cry out to the mountaintops and say, God, come to my help. The resilience of knowing that the laws of God and the ways of God are written in your heart and on your mind. The resilience of Timothy to stand firm. And the tenacity and spiritual resilience of this this woman to just keep harassing until she gets her justice. And I I wonder if each of these passages is highlighting the way that faith sometimes feels like. Like we hear those words of Jesus, will, you know, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? And I wonder how much of us think, will he still find people who believe in him? Will he still find people who say the right words? Will he still find people who can recite the creeds and trust that he was historical and that he did die and rise again? Is that what, you know, is that what Jesus was meaning? Well, when we sit these passages in conversation with one another, I think it highlights a different kind of faith that the scriptures are inviting us to recognise. When God comes, will he find faith on the earth? Will he find people who are willing to wrestle through the dark of the night? and refuse to let go, that even as the dawn is breaking, that they grab God by the legs (laughs) and say, bless me, what is your name? I won't let you go until you tell me your name. Like what if that's a picture of the kind of faith that God wants to see on the earth? That's different to believing the right thing. It's like a tenacious resilience, refusal to give up in the dark of the night. Will he find the faith who will keep calling out, saying, God, come to my aid? 
Where does my help come from? I don't know where my help's coming from, but God, I'm trusting in you. That the God of Israel is awake and alert and watching over me. I'm going to hold on to that kind of faith. The faith that trusts that the very life of God is in me, written on my heart, stamped on my body, seared into my mind. I'm trusting that that's what it's like. The kind of faith that endures hardship, the kind of faith of this widow who just persists in the face of opposition and injustice. Will God find that kind of faith on the earth? Tenacious, resilient, relentless kinds of faith. And the last thread that I I see, see kind of woven throughout all these passages is that despite this kind of solitude that sits in all of these bits, there is also a sense that, there is, that we're not alone. That Jacob was wrestling with God. The passage sort of starts by saying he's just wrestling with a strange man and it moves towards sensing this man is God with us. That Jacob in the lonely watches of the night, God was with him, wrestling him to the ground. That in the psalm, as the psalmist cries out to the heavens and the mountains, where does my help come from? And the answer is, it comes from God. And he never slumbers or sleeps. It may feel like you're alone at the top of a mountain crying for help. But remember, the God of Israel will not let your foot slip. You are not alone in your struggles. That it's God himself in Jeremiah, who is going to write the new covenant on us. God is the active one in the passage of Jeremiah. He is the faithful husband. He is the one who won't be unfaithful to the covenant. He is going to keep his promise and he is going to actively be the one that inscribes it on you. Deep in your bones, God will write the story of his goodness and love and mercy and glory on your body. That God in Timothy, God is the one that equips us and prepares us and appears to us and comes to us when we're confused and there's competing narratives and there's people going different ways and thinking different things and believing strange myths, God is the one that is faithful to us, who calls us forth in our faithfulness. And in a strange and unusual way, God is a just and righteous judge who will act swiftly for justice. There's this strange parable of a persistent widow. But Jesus is calling us to see that unlike the unjust judge, God is indeed 
just and fair and working for righteousness and goodness in this world. So there's this solitude. There's this call that God would say to each one of us as individuals, will I find faith on the earth? There's a sense that that kind of faith is not just simple, easy, believing the right things, but is a kind of tenacious, gritty, wild, wrestling, relentless, faithful kind of faith. Through the darkness and the doubt and the injustice, faith that is resilient and sees hope and goodness around. And there is a sense that it's God himself who's in the midst of all of these things. We're not alone. Even in our lonely solitude places, we are never alone. God is our wrestling partner. He is our help who is to come. He's the scribe of our hearts. He's the one who appears to us. And he's the justice acting one. And I think all of these passages kind of like in conversation with one another are calling to us and they're reminding us that you can remain. You can survive. You can be faithful because God himself is in you and he is with you. We can remain because God remains. We will not know giving up because God does not know giving up. Let me say this slightly differently. Even if we stop wrestling, even if you stop wrestling at 2 a.m., God will continue to wrestle with you. Even if you cry out to the mountaintops, where is my help? God is crying back to you saying, I'm with you. I'm faithful. I'm the shade at your right hand. Even if we eat sour grapes and our teeth are set on edge, even if out of all the abundance of God's goodness, we pick the sour grapes and we, whatever that, I don't even know what it means that your teeth are set on edge. Even if that's our experience, God is still going to write his covenant into our hearts and our lives and be the faithful one. He will still be placing himself on the feasting table and say, taste and see that I am good. Even if you choose the sour grapes again and again and again, God is still on the table. Taste and see that I am good. Taste and see that I am good. And maybe even perhaps if we give up harassing the judge for justice, maybe the conversation between these different passages invites us to see Maybe the judge might just come harassing us. Even if we 
we struggle, justice will still have its way because God is good and God is faithful. And so there is this tenacity in, in these scriptures that I hear as we read them. There's this faithfulness in these scriptures I hear as we read them. That we hear that question, will I find faith on the earth? And I want to say to you, the answer is yes, because God has planted himself in your heart. And when he comes, he's going to meet himself in your flesh and know the goodness of God within you. There's a persistence of God that calls out a persistence in us. There's a tenacity in God that calls out a tenacity in us. And there's a faithfulness in God that calls out a faithfulness in us. And I think these passages invite us to a kind of resilience, a kind of spiritual resilience that rises in us and says, come what may, I will not let you go. I will not let you go. Even as God himself says to each one of us, and I will never let you go. And we fall in the divine wrestle of love. Amen. I'm just going to pray and then I'm actually just going to give us just a a little pause of silence because I want to... I want to allow the Holy Spirit space to just speak what he wants to speak to you. So creator God, we hear these words. We hear the words of scripture in conversation with one another. We say, give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you are speaking to us. Would you help us to understand the ways in which these scriptures reveal the tenacious Christ in our lives? And God, we just open our hearts to you. And we just say, God, would you speak a good word to us this afternoon, to each one of us in our particular place and time and context, in each of our wrestles, God, would you come and speak to us? We are listening. Amen. Just to finish, I want to read um, a poem to you as a, a benediction out over us as we go into this windy evening (laughs) as we go holding the faithfulness of God in our hearts as we go trusting the presence of God in our wrestles this is a um, a poem by um, Rainer Maria Rilke who is a German poet it's from his um, book book of hours and from his love poems to God it has a German title that I can't at all begin to pronounce. But um, as I've been sitting in this passage, this has been a poem that has um, been singing in my heart. And I think it, it would also join the conversation of scripture. 
in a different kind of way. So Rilke writes, God speaks to each of us as he makes us, then walks with us silently out of the night. These are the words we dimly hear. You, sent out beyond your recall, go to the limits of your longing, embody me. Flare up like flame and make big shadows I can move in. Let everything happen to you, beauty and terror, just keep going. No feeling is final. Don't let yourself lose me. Nearby is the country they call life. You will know it by its seriousness. Give me your hand. Don't let yourself lose God. He will not lose you. Trust him. With the doubts and the questions, the pain, the darkness, the injustice, the prayers that are yet unanswered, God is faithful. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to check out more about Central, visit us at centralchurch.org.au. Music by Chris D'Souza, a beloved member of Central. Ha, ha, ha.